With our thanksgiving, with our praise. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Lord, I honor you. I bless you, Lord. I want to be a blessing to you, Lord. I want to magnify you and lift you up, Lord. For you are holy, Lord God. There is no one like you, Lord God. Hallelujah. Oh, bless the Lord. Oh, my soul and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We thank you for being in the house of the Lord tonight and online. Thank the Lord for our worship team, our musicians, our sound booth, and our AV team that God would continue to bless them in their labor to assist us in coming to you uh, online live. I'd like you to stand. As you know, we've been talking about the nine tests that every Christian, Christian must face. Number one, I'm going back through them because I want you to understand. I, I know you say you keep repeating yourself, but I'm going to keep repeating myself because repetitiveness keeps it in our forefront of our mind. The wilderness test is a dry place, and many of us have been in dry places. Some of us are in dry places now. We haven't made it to the time test. Maybe we were in a time test before we got to the wilderness, but... Then the time test came, which is a, uh, testing whether you have patience uh, to wait on the Lord. The motivation test could be for good or for bad, and that is to in ministry or in what you do in the, out in the world or what you do at home. Uh, it could be good or bad. What is your motivation for what you do? Uh, do you serve God because you're looking to get blessed, or are you serving God because you just want to serve God and you love Him and appreciate Him? The failure test, all of us will go through a failure test at some point in our lives because if you're, if you're trying to serve God, if you're trying to be a, a child of God and a disciple of God, you're going to try things and they're going to maybe fail. But remember, get back up. Uh, the self-will test, that's the one that is very difficult whether or not you'll allow your will or God's will in your life. And God will not override your will. Human will cannot be overridden unless you relinquish your will to God. The discouragement test is number six. Many of us have been discouraged and went through some things. Life brings discouragement, and uh, even in the walking with God, there's going to be discouragement that you'll be tested. Then the misunderstanding test, the frustration test, and uh, actually I had an, an online uh, saint, child of God say I could tell you were frustrated last Wednesday um, I am frustrated with drugs I'm frustrated with people looking for drugs because that's their way out they're they're hurting they don't know any other way to react and um, and when I when I beg to share gospel or share the word of God with someone it's not because that I I just want to share it it's because I know that God's word and his spirit can can fix people I know that I mean it fixed me uh, I and that's how I know I mean you know I, anyway and so tonight is the servant test probably one of the most difficult tests to be in uh, to understand and to walk in turn with me to first Kings 19 19 through 21, and the King James Version says it like this. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he with the 12th, and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. Verse 20 said, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me, I pray thee, Kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee. And he said unto him, Go back again, for what have I done to thee? Verse 21 says this, And he returned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled them, or boiled their flesh, with the instruments of the oxen and gave unto the people 
and they did eat, and then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto them. And uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we just pray that you bless this lesson tonight, God. Bless everyone that's online. Bless everyone that is a part of the team that allows us to be able to stream this service tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. And God, use your servant. I'm just going to turn the heat down just a little bit, if you don't mind. Um, forgive me. I'm a little bit, you know, <laughs> overheated sometimes. I don't know what else to tell you. Listen, let's turn. I'm going to read it to you in another translation. In the New Living Translation says this. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there and ran after Elijah and said to him, First let me go and kiss my mom and father, my, my father and my mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, Go on back, but think about what I have done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the uh, townspeople, and they all ate. And then he went with Elijah as his assignment. I'd like you to go to 2 Kings 3.11. I'll read it in the New King James. It says this, But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not here a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha, the son of Shaphat, and, uh, which poured out, poured water on the hands of Elijah. In the New Living Translation, it says, But Jehoshaphat said, Is there a, not a man who speaks for God here? There is no one we can ask to learn what the Lord would have us to do. One of the servants of the, the king of Israel answered, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here. He poured water on the hands of Elijah. So if I may kind of give you a definition of a servant, servant is defined as a person. It's a male or female that attends to another for the purpose of performing menial offices for him and his subject to his command. As you know, there are many who wish to serve God, but only in an advisory position. Not many want to be, uh, you, we say we want to be used of God, but there is a cost to being used of God. There are seven demands upon a servant. Number one is a, a surrender of freedom. You say, well, I don't want to surrender my freedom. I understand. Luke 17, 10 in the Amplified says this, So you too, when you have done everything that was assigned and commanded you, Say, we are unworthy servants, undeserving of praise or reward, for we have not gone beyond our obligation. We have merely done what we ought to do. You must surrender your freedom in your walk with God. Many people say, what's that mean? What's that mean? That means that God's word is what directs my footsteps. God's word is is what checks my attitude. God's word is what checks my emotions. God's word is what checks my spirit. God's word is what protects, checks my lips to what they say. The Bible says, out of the heart the mouth speaketh. It's so important that we as God's people surrender ourselves to him so that my mouth won't speak things that will harm people. And so uh, number two is a surrender of time. In Luke 17, 7 through 8, we see what if you owned a servant who was working in the field uh, or, or taking care of sheep? Would you say to him when he came in from, in from his work, come and sit down to eat? No, instead you would say, get my supper ready, dress yourself and care for me until I am through eating and drinking, then you can eat. Listen, when you surrender your time, you are there to take care of whoever you are ministering to, 
you're, you're teaching. It is it's surrendering my time because I'm being used of God. You don't demand people to serve you. You surrender your time to serve others. Three, a surrender of authority. A surrender of authority. In Luke 7 and 8, in the New, Li Living Transla New Life Translation, excuse me, for I am a man who works for someone else also, and I have soldiers who work for me. I say to this man, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. I say to my workmen, do this, and he does it. And he does it. So when we're a servant, we must surrender our authority. That means that when God's word speaks to me, I am obedient to his word. When I'm in ministry or when I'm in the house of God or I'm out in the streets, I'm still submitting and surrendering my humanistic ways to God's ways. Amen? That when I see someone hurting, that I must go that extra mile and try to do what I can to help them. I must be a witness of God. I must be a witness of how Jesus loved people constantly he surrendered, his, he surrendered himself for the cross for you and I. Four, a surrender of ego. We must surrender our ego. The Bible says in John 13, chapter 13, 4 through 5, we see here how he gets up from the supper he took off his outer robe, and this is Jesus, and taking a servant's towel, he tied it around his waist. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. In verse 5, he, then he poured water into a basin and began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with the towel, which was tied around his waist. In the Amplified, it says, So if I, the Lord, and the teacher washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet as well. For I gave you this as an example so that you should do in turn as I do to you. So Jesus allowed himself to put ego aside, humble himself, and wash the disciples' feet. Why? He was teaching them that they must put ego down. And if you've ever been in a foot washing, I, I mentioned this, I don't know when I mentioned this, but I mentioned this once before. Um, Foot washing has a way of humbling every man and every woman. And when there's an ought or an issue or a situation in the body, God will allow you to be the one to have to wash that person's feet. Inevitably. Inevitably. It will always happen. I've watched people miss foot washing because they did not want to have to submit or humble themselves and wash that brother or that sister's foot feet. I'd like to read it to you in the Amplified. It says this. In John 13, 14 through 15, it says this. So if the Lord and the teacher wash your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet as well. For I gave you this as an example. It is an example that we will always remember if we're children of God because we are to not have egos. We're not to have pride. We're to put it away. Five, a surrender of preferences. Preferences. In Matthew 26, 39, in the Amplified, it says, And after going a little farther, he fell face down and pray, prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, this is Jesus, if it is possible that is consistent with your will, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So he had a preference to, Lord, let this pass from me, but if it's not going to pass, I'm willing to accept your will. Now, we all have a preference not to go through something. <laughs> I mean, who wants to go through those nine tests? I can tell you they've not been fun. But knowing the Lord and having a relationship with the Lord, he has helped me get through these tests. So my preference would be not to go through the things that he did, and that was Jesus' thing. He's saying, I would prefer not to go through this, but if it's your will, I will. So you and I will have to surrender our preference. Six, surrender our purpose. 
can't be your purpose, it has to be the Lord's purpose. Mark 10, 43-44 says this, King James says, but so, but so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. And we know that to be true, right? You can't, you can't, you can't lead until you're able to follow. They teach military. They start them out learning how to follow. And they build them up to the place where they can now be lead, leaders or leads of the military or their, their uh, squadron, uh, their platoon. And they begin to build those men and women to where they are capable of taking those men and women through any obstacle, any situation, and any circumstance. That is the same way it is for you and I. We must have a purpose. We must surrender our purpose to be able to do what God has called us to do. Seven, surrender a, a surrender of resources. Not a lot of people like that, but Matthew 25, 16 through 18 says, the one who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made a profit and gained five more. Likewise, the one who had two made a profit and gained two more. But the one who had received the one went and dug a hole in the ground and hid it, hid his master's money. Whether your talent is in ministry, whether your talent is in finances, you must invest it in the kingdom of God. Servanthood is inevitable if you are to be effective in the kingdom of God. It is, there is no way that we can be effective in the kingdom of God if we're not willing, willing to have a servant's heart. In Matthew 20, 26-28, in the New Life version, it says, It must not be that way with you, but whoever wants to be great among you, let him care for you. Number 27 says, whoever wants to be first among you, let him be your servant. Number 28 says, for the Son of Man came not to be cared for, he came to care for others. He came to give his life so that many could be brought by his bought, excuse me, bought by his blood and made free from the punishment of sin. So you and I, if I'm going to be a leader, if I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, be a witness unto God and a servant unto God, then I must be willing to be a servant to others. And, and that does, you know, they're not always who you're trying to lead or who you're trying to work with are not always um, easy to lead or work with. But you have to be willing to have a servant's heart the way Jesus did. I'm going to talk to you about servitude. Servitude will come before honor. How do you know, Pastor? Well, how do you know? Well, Joseph served Potiphar before he became the lead, before he led. He served Potiphar. Joshua served Moses. Samuel serves Eli. David serves Saul. Elisha serves Elijah. And Timothy serves Paul. John Mark serves Simon Peter. So you have to be willing to serve before you get used in the kingdom of God greatly, I should say. You've got to be willing to be led. Twelve attitudes of a servant. I want to try to give you those. Number one is a servant is teachable. I wasn't always teachable. I'm sure our bishop had many a nights of restlessness and prayer trying to teach your pastor to be teachable. But in th uh, 3 John, the third, uh, John 3, 3 John, okay, the ninth chapter, the Bible says, I wrote something to the church, but Deatrice, who loves you, loves to put himself first, does not accept what 
we say and refuses to be recognized by my refuses to recognize my authority. So you would have to be willing to recognize the authority that's trying to teach you to be taught. So a servant is someone that is teachable. Uh, Deatrice, and I may be mispronouncing that, but he was in lead. He, was, he wanted to be led. He wanted to be the leader of that place, and yet he was not willing to take advice and understand how to lead where he was. He did not recognize the authority of the man of God that was there. Two, a servant is submissive. A servant is submissive. Matthew 26, 39 in the New Living Translation says this, He went on a little farther and bowed his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup. I used this already once, but listen. He said, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. So he was willing to be submissive again, and he buried his face down, and he said, Lord, God, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. I don't want to be here, but I'm willing to be submissive to you. A servant, number three, a servant is patient. That means waiting for what God has in store, waiting for what's about to come, waiting for what, where God's going to elevate you in ministry, or waiting for what the blessing that's about to come. But 2 Timothy 2, 24 says this, a servant owned by God must not make trouble. He must be kind to everyone. He must be able to teach. He must be willing to suffer when hurt for, going, for doing good. I wish I could impress on everybody that becomes a servant of God to not think that you're not going to get hurt being a servant of God. And it's going to be, it could be from someone in the church. It could be someone, a family member. It could be anybody in the streets. You're going to get hurt as a servant of God. You're, this is not something that you just get into and it's all the glory. I get to stand up here. I get to lead from the front and I get to smile at you and I get all the glory and all the honor. That's not what it's about. That's not what it's about. Because it took years for the Lord to get me to where I was even worthy to even stand in a pulpit, let alone even hear the word of God, him speaking to me about what he was calling me to do. Number four, a servant is diligent. A servant is diligent. Matthew 24, 46 through 47 in the Living Translation, the New Living Translation says, if the master returns and finds the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. So if you're diligent in your walk with God, if you're diligent in your, your reading the word of God, if you're diligent in, in uh, prayer and seeking the face of God, diligent in, in, in I'm going to say it, in attending the house of God, okay? Nobody likes that, but the bottom line is I must be a good steward of what God has entrusted me with. Amen? And so Matthew 24, 48 through 51 says it like this, but what if the servant is evil and thinks my master won't be back for a while? Hmm. And he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk. The master will return unannounced and unexpected and he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with, with the hypocrites. In the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Listen, you have to be diligent. If you get slack in your ways, if you start uh, wavering in your walk with God and you become undiligent, this is what happens. The servant becomes out of control. The servant doesn't do the things that he needs to do. Number five, a servant is productive. Matthew 25, 29 through 30 says this, to those, and I'm reading in the NLT, to those who use well, to those who, who use well what they are given, even more will be given. 
and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Verse 30 says, now, now throw this useless servant into an outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, you know, we know what that outer darkness is. It was not designed for God's people, God's children. It was designed for Satan. Many a times you've heard me preach that hell is a place of gnashing of teeth, weeping, sorrow. God did not design that for his people, being you and I, the children of God. But if we are not productive, then he will not have any use for us. Many people get lackadaisical in their latter years of serving God. And I'll stay right there. I'll just stop. Number six, a servant is loyal. A servant is loyal. In the Common English Bible, it says this in Luke 16, 13. No household servant can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will, love, or you will be loyal to the one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. So I must be loyal to the Lord. Whatever blessings come my way financially, they belong to the Lord. Whatever blessings come to me, I don't even worship them because if you worship them, they become an idol. So I must be loyal to the Lord who gave me the finances, who gave me the blessings, or who gave me my, walk, my spiritual walk with him, right? Being birthed into the kingdom of God, repenting of my sins, being baptized in the lovely name of Jesus, and being filled with the Holy Spirit. I must be loyal to the one that has went to a cross and died for my sins. Many a times that gets hazed. Our eyes get hazed, and we don't really see that anymore. Money comes, uh, homes get, or we get a nice home, or we get a nice car, and, and we just lose sight of being loyal to Jesus. And he's the one that gave it to me. He's the one I must honor for that. I must worship him for that. Number seven, a servant has integrity. A servant must have integrity. A good servant will have integrity. I had a gentleman call me the other day, some minister. We were talking. I'm planning some things. And I said, but for, before, I, before, I, before I go any further, I've got to call your pastor and run this by your pastor. You know, you and I are going to stop right here. I haven't really had your pastor's blessing. And so he said, you know, he said, okay, thank you. And uh, one of the things he said is not much ethics and integrity in the, in the movement. And there's something wrong with people and men and women of God. I don't care what your position is. When you lose integrity, integrity is one of the most important things that you and I can have. It was one of the things I was taught by my father. I was taught it in sales. And now I'm teaching it because even as God being in my life, I must have integrity. Amen. Galatians 1.10 says this. 1.10. Obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. So I don't try to win people's popularity contest. I will have to answer to God the way I preach, the way I teach, the way, the way I minister through the Holy Ghost. I will answer to the Lord. And I would rather be reprimanded by God by preaching hard word and teaching the word hard than to teach it easy and make you think that you can get into the kingdom of God by living easy for Jesus. If the disciples were afraid and they denounced Christ on the day of uh, crucifixion, how much more should we be mindful of our walk with God now. We should be, our integrity, our, 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 our dedication, our loyalty should be to the Christ who saved us, to Jesus Christ, not to other men. So, you know, I had a couple people have said, 
or you're running off for all your tithes payers. And let me tell you something. They don't pay me. God pays me. That's who pays me. And if it, if it, run, if it empties out all the church and we have 10 people, I can get a job. Jesus is still in charge. My job is to do the calling of the Lord. If he was to tell me to preach something else, I'll preach what he tells me to preach. I'm obedient to his voice. Amen. And I believe whoever gets in this pulpit had better have an ear for God and preach and teach what God gives them, not what they think everybody wants. Eight, a servant is selfless. Acts 20, 24, and the New Living Translation says this, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assignment me, uh, assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. That means you can stone me, you can throw rocks at me, you can do whatever you want, but I'm still going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what the common, uh, common English Bible says, but nothing, not even my life is more important than my completing my mission. This is nothing other than the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify about the good news of God's grace. Number nine, a servant is profitable. I've said this many a times from this platform. He who, wins he who wins souls is wise. But 1 Corinthians 9, 19 in the Amplified says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to everyone so that I may win more for Christ. You lay down, you might have been profitable on your job. You might be making better money than you've ever made before. Do that, do that well, but you need to be mindful of souls. We are coming into the, the uh, 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 last day era uh, before Jesus comes back for his people. And I'm not saying it's the next four years, next eight years, next ten years, but I can tell you by the Bible that everything is being set up for the coming of the Lord. This is, I said this to one of my nephews from my wife's side. God laid him on my heart, and I called him. And we were talking, and if he's listening, I mean no harm but what I'm about ready to say. Um, he was concerned, thinking there's no rapture. It's not going to be a rapture. It's already happened. I said, no, it hadn't happened. I said, and it, this would be the time for you to get your life right with God. And I said, there might have been a time when you might have been able to take the dice and roll the dice of whether or not you have time to spend a little bit more time out in the world. Or you might have had a little bit of time to roll the dice of whether you were going to serve God anymore because you once were fully rooted in the house of God. But not now. There's never been a time that I would ever want to wake, walk away from truth, walk away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Someone said this, I would, I would rather it be hard to live for Jesus and make it to heaven and find out I could have lived a little easier than to live easy and get to heaven and find out I should have been living hard and hear those words, depart from me, for I know you're not. Number 10, a servant is trustworthy. A servant is trustworthy. In Revelation 17, 14, I read this out of the Amplified, they will wage war against the Lamb, Christ, and the Lamb will triumph and conquer them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings and those who are with him and on his side are the called and chosen elect and faithful trustworthy he knows he can trust you you and I need to be trustworthy servants 11 a servant is focused <laughs> I've been praying for this mind of mine to stay focused never in my life 
in pastoring have I ever had focus problems on what God would want me to do with the pandemic, with the church being open only on Sunday morning, with only being able to have 45 people up to 50 in the house of God, no, getting, getting your temperatures taken, you know, wearing masks and uh, sanitizing your hands and uh, spraying pews after everybody leaves and all these things has, has created a, 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 a time of trying to be focused and hear the Word of God and hear what God wants me to do and be led by the Word of God and be led by His Spirit. Focused. We must stay focused. I'm watching people that have lost focus. They've lost sight. They're not, they're not zeroed in on what's happening in their own spiritual life. But a servant is focused. 1 Corinthians 7, 35 says this, I'm saying this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote what is proper and so that you may be devoted to the Lord without distraction. Everything that's going on in this world right now is distracting the Christians, the child of God. Those that call themselves children of God are so distracted that if they were to call out on the Lord, it would be, if they have experienced, let me say this, if they've experienced the Holy Ghost, because their focus has come off of Jesus and on other things in this world, if they were to call on God and they've not been in the house of God, let me tell you something. I, I was praying last Sunday, I feel like our church had a breakthrough. I mean, it started with Bishop when he preached that Sunday that I was not here, and we had a couple people come to the altar. It was like, and when I watched it, I said, now. I said, it's starting. God's starting to move. God is starting to do move. And then last Sunday, we had a, a larger number of people. Here's what's going to happen. Those that are coming, that are faithful, and submitted to the kingdom of God and to the Lord, they're, we're going to start to see a greater move of God. There are going to be the, the signs and wonders are going to begin to happen. Healings are going to take place. People that are not filled with the Holy Ghost are going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. People that need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ are going to be baptized. We had a baptism Sunday. We're sorry that it would not project up here and you did not get to see it. I don't know if we turned the camera on the back screen or not. But the bottom line is God is about to do something. And I want to stay focused. Number 12, a servant is prepared. I want to be prepared for what God is about to bring to the kingdom of God to the church. I want to be prepared. Luke 12, 47 in the King James Version says, And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. I want to be prepared. If you're not prepared, you're going to be beaten. Jesus was beaten. My beaten that I'm pursuing, presuming this will be, is when you meet Jesus. And he says, depart from me, for I know you're not. I, I, I don't know about you. I'd rather him spank me than to hear those words. But that's not what's going to happen. Because I've not been prepared or, or been a good servant, then he's, there's going to be some things that happen. There's repercussions that will happen. A servant is fervent. Romans 12, 11 under God's Word translation, it says, Don't be lazy in showing your devotion. Use your energy to serve the Lord. In the Amplified, it says it like this, Never lagging behind in diligence. A glow in the Spirit, enthusiastically serving the Lord. Let me show you what Elisha's legacy was. This is what Elisha's legacy was. He was chosen. He was anointed. He was obedient. He was sacrificial, meaning he was, he was willing to sacrifice his family himself. And I don't, I'm not asking you to sacrifice your family. But he was willing to leave the, 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 uh, the family farm and follow after Jesus. A servant, and he was patient. In 2 Kings 6.12 it says this, One of his servants said, None of us is helping him, my Lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. 
In God's word translation, it says, one of his officers answered, no one, your majesty, can interpret it, but Elisha, the, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel, everything you say, even what you say in your bedroom. 2 Kings 4.27 says this. In God's word translation, it says, when, the, when she came to the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet, Gehazi, and I'm very close to closing. Gehazi went to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is bitter. The Lord has hidden the reason from me. He hasn't told me. In the New Living Translation, it says this, uh, but when she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell to the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. Gehazi began to push her uh, Gehazi began to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is deeply troubled, but the Lord has not told me what it is that's bothering her. This is Elisha. After Elisha's death, his legacy continues. It goes on. In 2 Kings 13.21, in the New Living Translation, says, once when someone... When, excuse me, once when some Israelites were burying a man, they spied a, ba a band of these raiders. So they hastily threw the corpse into the tomb of Elisha and fled. But as soon as the body touched Elisha's bones, the dead man revived and jumped to his feet. Now, that tells you there was power in Elisha. Even in his grave, there was healing power. I want to be fervent in my walk with God. I don't want to waver. I told, I told my son the other night, I said I was praying for my mind. I was praying for me. And I know you're, you might think that's crazy, but I was praying for me because I told the Lord straight up, I said, God, I don't want to be like Peter. I don't want to have walked this, this whole walk and, this, and been with you for 25 years, 26 years now and get to the very end, and be fearful, and, go, and deny you. I say, so God, I'm praying, whatever happens to my family, help me to stay strong. Whatever torture has to come, help me to stay strong, Lord, because I want to be, I want to be totally sold out for the kingdom of God. The words... We want to hear from Christ is this, in Matthew 25, 23. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful and trustworthy over a little. I will put you in, cha in charge of many things. Share in the joy of your master. The King James 25, 23 says this, His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. So I would say to you today, this is the last lesson, the last lesson on the nine tests every Christian must go through. And this is what I want to bring to your mind. God, test us to see if we have a servant's heart or demand that we be served. If you're a child of God, if you're in a ministry, if you serve somewhere in a church or somewhere you're online, you're listening and you uh, are ministering or you do ministry and you are demanding servant, someone to serve you, you're in the wrong place. When God calls you, you are to have his heart, which is a servant's heart. The last lesson Christ taught his disciples before Calvary was about being a servant. He used a towel and a pan of water to show who would be the greatest in his kingdom. We will be judged upon how we have served others. We will all long to hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant. Today, what we hear depends upon how we do 
with the servant test. How we will respond to the servant's test. Nobody wants to be called a servant because of the stigma that follows it. Many a times I've said that's what the Lord called me to be for this church, for this time and this season as your servant. It is important for all of us that are in the ministry or even a child of God in, in the church to be a servant of His, to be an example, to stay the course. You'd stand with me in your homes. Truly been, I pray it's been a blessing to you uh, what we've been teaching on the nine tests every Christian will experience or go through. Uh, we've been blessed. Bishop Reynolds will be teaching for the next at least two weeks on the cross. I am looking forward to his teaching on the cross and what that will bring. I'm looking forward to the move of God during his teaching and, and um, ministry to us. I, I just want you to bow your heads where you are. I feel, I feel like these tests are very difficult. I, I just want you to know these tests have not been easy. I, I'm not telling you that I have aced the test. Let me pull this off for a minute. I want you to know I have not aced these tests, every one of these tests. I've come through them. But I, ne I have not aced every test that has been brought my way. But what I will tell you is, is that through prayer and coming back to the Word of God and submitting myself to authority, my bishop, to the Lord Jesus Christ and to His Word, God has brought me through it. Maybe not in the most um, athletic, praiseable ways. You know that our, um, our society believes in the victories, but I've come through. So what I taught is something that I've been through, and I pray that you understand that I have no ulterior motive in this, but that if hopefully it'll help you in your test and bring to remembrance things that have been going on, things that have tried to distract you or destroy you that you thought were um, to destroy you were only to perfect us. Stay the course. Be encouraged. Serve the Lord. Loneliness is real. Depression is real. And I want you to know that Jesus loves each and every one of you very much. No matter where you are in your walk with God, whether you're even serving God today or not, Jesus loves you. He went to a cross for you and I. Father, I pray for everyone in our hearing today, under our hearing uh, online, that you would move and intervene in their lives. I pray that these lessons have blessed them and been of use to them. And I pray, God, that they will not experience these tests the way I have experienced them, but, God, that they would be victorious because of the teaching that has come forth of how you brought me through, Lord God. I pray blessings on everyone that's under the sound of my voice tonight. I pray that you comfort them, encourage them, and I pray for their families. I pray for their loved ones. I pray for those that have lost family, lost brothers, lost sisters, has lost mothers, aunts, grandmothers. I pray that you comfort them today. I pray for the Holy Ghost to be poured out on Sunday greater than it's ever been before. Pray for your people, Lord God, that you'll continue to draw them towards you in Jesus' name. Before you sign off with us, we want you to worship with us as we close. God bless you.